Welcome to The Grid. I am your host, Jennifer Shahadi, and we'll be taking a 13 by 13 episode journey through every possible No Limit Hold'em hand, 169 hands in total, from aces to seven deuce offsuit. Each episode, I'll interview another top poker player or personality about their hand. Once a combo is taken, it's gone. So this podcast will become progressively more difficult as hands like ace-king are removed from the grid. Whether you spend hours poring over grids as you study poker, love to listen to hand history pods while grinding cash, or are just interested in absurd scavenger hunts, we're going to have some fun. You got the cards. Dealer, I'm feeling it hit me. Yeah, I got swagger. They see me, see me strutting. All sweating daggers. Believe it, I'm the real thing. But I gotta switch it on. Announcement time. I told you a few months ago that there are some very exciting reasons why I've been especially busy lately. Well, one such reason is that I'm coming out with chess queens, the true story of a chess champion and the greatest female players of all time. It's a totally updated and revised version of my previous book on women in chess, and I'm really proud of it. It's out in Europe in ebook in March 2022 and a couple months later stateside. Right now, pre-orders are my love language. And I'd really appreciate if you click on one of the links in the show notes to make sure you get the earliest copy of Chess Queens. You can also go to jennifershahadi.com slash books for those links. I really think poker players are going to enjoy this book as it captures the intensity of a high level of competition, the triumphs, devastating losses, and chronicles some of my earliest gaming days. The Grid is a free show, and by supporting my work, you help this entire operation going. And speaking of which, with a big deadline behind me, I'll be upping the grid frequency. And with that in mind, let's get into this episode's special guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Grid. Happy New Year. As some of you know, I recently signed with Poker Power, an organization that aims to teach one million women poker to help advance them in poker and also in business, politics, all the different fields that we need more women and gender minorities. To celebrate, we have a special Poker Power guest today, and we'll have more this year. We also have a fantastic song by Jenny Parrott, an Austin-based musician and chess aficionado who's a friend of my podcast. You're gonna wanna check out her new album, The Fire I Saw, on YouTube, Bandcamp, Spotify, and look for the links in the show notes. I know you're gonna love this song. And be sure to stay tuned for the full episode to hear it. It is Georgica. And now I'm going to introduce my guest. Amanda Botfeld is the author of A Girl's Guide to Poker. In the intro to that book, published by DNB Poker, she says that she has a passion for art that could say anything about everything in life, proudly said from a female point of view. You know, I like to hear that. Her work has been published in the Wall Street Journal, LA Times, and Huffington Post. She's a senior instructor and the curriculum coordinator for Poker Power, and I recently signed on to their advisory board. Love what Poker Power is doing. And as very pertinent to today's show, she recently made her first World Series of Poker final table in the tag team event where she played with her father. Very heartwarming story. They ended up placing in third for $50,000 total. In a viral tweet, she posted a photo of her learning the rules of the game from her dad 15 years 
before that epic final day of all. And it was such a sweet photo. They were both wearing purple tinted shades with heart-shaped icons. She writes, love you, dad. Couldn't have done it without you. Well, it sure warmed my heart. But at the poker table, make no mistake about it, Amanda has ice in her veins. As today's hand will attest to, it's King Jack off. And I will let Amanda Botfeld tell the tale. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for that awesome introduction. <laughs> I am so, I'm floored. And I'm so excited to talk about this hand. Of course, it was the experience of a lifetime. And I'm glad you mentioned that viral tweet because here we are. We're going into the final table. We can't believe we did it, this father-daughter team. And I think everyone with all this attention on it, we really, really didn't want to get knocked out right away. And so I knew that it was quite the risk um, playing my very first hand this aggressively because I knew there were so many eyeballs here, but uh, we were playing to win. So what happened in this hand was, and for reference, I was about seventh place, right? So we were kind of um, one of the shorter stacks entering this final table and it started with about 27 big blinds. So 27 big blinds, um, you said you were about seventh out of 10, right? Yes. 10 handed. 10 people at this final table. And how did you decide that you would be playing versus your dad playing? How did I decide I'd be playing versus my dad? At this point, I, I, you know, I had a little bit more final table experience than uh, my dad did. And it was funny because originally in the tournament from day one, the plan was for me to play most of it. And then what happened was we get to day two and my dad's like, can I play? And I was like, all right, sure. And, you know, I'll get lunch. And then I come back after like a half hour, I get tagged back in. I play one hand, one hand. And I double up. I call a big bluff for all of our chips and I'm shaking. I have so much adrenaline that I play this one hand. I text my dad. I say, dad, you're back in. And then literally my dad probably played the hardest part of the tournament. Almost all of the second half of day two, when we were at the sharkiest tables with the most pros and I had a blast watching him railing him it was more fun than even me playing he did amazing obviously i'm getting all these texts i'm winning and i guess the last thing i'll say about this is my father has said as he's gotten older poker's really changed in terms of his table image he said when he was young everyone thought hey uh this is this young guy all he's gonna do is bluff so my dad would play really uh trappy right and he was very comfortable with that now that he's in his 60s he says everyone thinks that He's so conservative. He's so passive. He's always got it. So what does he do now? He bluffs. And he texted me. Um, you know, I remembered when I tagged him back in originally and I was really nervous and I texted him, how's it going? And he said, we've won every single hand for the last hour and I've bluffed every one of them, which was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Um, and he's like, people see the 64 year old guy betting. They're like, got to fold got to fold. Darn it. He's got it. And I just think it's so amazing because that wasn't his natural tendency. That's not the way he's done things for decades, but he really made the decision to get out of his comfort zone. And at the end of the day, this was completely a team effort. He really held us through uh, most of day two. And so then I tagged in at the final table on day three. Beautiful. So you tagged in for the very first hand of the final table. So this is a team event. Teams of two, this uh, World Series of Poker tag team event has been around for a few years. Earlier editions of it allowed three or four player teams, but now it's, 
it is two players and you are among um, nine other players at the table. How close are your teammates allowed to be? They, they kind of have to be, because of uh, COVID restrictions and stuff, they can't like, be right over your shoulder, right? They're a little bit further back. It was a little bit frustrating because they had to move some things around that day. Like they were waiting for a table to break in a different event. So for the first, I don't know, 40 minutes, I want to say, it was almost impossible for the teammates to see us. There was just too much distance. Then eventually that tournament right next to us broke and we got to be pretty close. Like they were just like a table away. So then, then it was great and it worked out. So then they were able to see us <laughs> and my dad was cheering. And to be clear, it's a team event, meaning that you guys take turns playing the event. But for each individual hand, it's strictly one player to a hand. Yes. So you can't actually make decisions at the table together, which wouldn't be good anyway, because then you would be talking about what you had. So, But I do want to speak to kind of the strength of our team in that a lot of people, they would say things like, I would call if these were only my chips. Or I would call if this wasn't, you know, my teammate and I sharing. And that hand where I was shaking, I called the big bluff that really catapulted us in the tournament on day two with the double up, right? I thought about that. And, you know, and I thought about like, I'm calling, you know, this is crazy call for our whole stack and our whole tournament. And then the next thing I thought was, I know I have my dad's blessing. You know, I know that whatever I do, he has the confidence in me. And I, I just, he has my back um, and I have his. And so it really, really gave me the ability and our team, the ability to play more freely and to play a better game because we weren't worried about letting the other person down. So smart. So smart because it's something that can really make you play overly tight. If you're too worried about what your friend or your backer or your teammate is thinking about you or what, what often happens to people is if they're playing on a televised table. They're worried about what the world thinks about their plays. And that can yeah. be such a dangerous mentality. That said, this was not televised, right? It was, but it was being reported on. Yes. The reason why is because they were preparing the main event feature table. So it was under construction, which has its pros and cons. I mean, on the one hand, a tag team event, I think would make the most sense to be televised because everyone has teams, you know, everyone wants to see. On the other hand, I was grateful to not have that extra layer of... <laughs> stress people you know seeing all my crazy places but this first hand was certainly quite traumatic and you're sitting down and the very first hand our hand of the episode king jack offsuit so tell us what happened so um there was this guy and he was definitely comfortable you know he kind of brags about all his tournament wins type thing mistakes like tournament grinder and so I fit and he opens in the cutoff, excuse me, in the hijack. And I knew he'd probably be opening a little bit lighter because he knows that most of us have never been at a final table before. Most of us are really, really nervous. And he has uh, an experience advantage. First of all, I thought he could be opening light because, you know, no one wants to go out their first hand at the final table. Everyone might play a little tighter. And then two, he's also in the hijack. I didn't give too much credence uh, to the raise. And then I'm on the button with King Jack offsuit. And, you know, so what's running through my mind is that I think he's raising a little bit light. Usually, you know, um, I don't call too many raises with King Jack offsuit, you know, and oftentimes it's a fold, but I just figured I had the best hand. And so I decided to three bet it. It's very, very important that I did not call. And I'll explain why later in the hand, which I think is important. And I think it kind of goes towards our mission of poker power as well. 
basically if I'd called the woman next to me would have called and would have changed everything. But anyways, so I three bet it and he calls. I have King Jack offsuit with the King of Spades. The flop is Queen Jack nine with two spades. He checks. I decide to check back. You know, I tell it's obviously as you get more advanced in poker, there's less rule of thumbs. But when I'm teaching poker power classes and we're, you know, trying to kind of create a curriculum and then standardize uh, poker a little bit more, um, we say, you know, generally bet in a polarized strategy. You want to bet your really, really good hands. You want to bet your bluffs and you want to check if your hand is medium. So on queen, jack, nine, two spades, I have the king of spades. I thought I had a clear medium hand. I really wouldn't want to bet here and get raised. So check back, see the turn. Um, the turn is really inconsequential. It is an offsuit for. He bets into me, and I think I have a pretty clear call. And the river, here's the board. It is another nine and is the nine of spades. So now we have queen, jack, nine, nine, four, and the front door flush comes in. And he bets enough to put me all in, essentially. I think we would have had one to two big blinds left over. And of course, I was thinking like, oh, my goodness, here, everyone's been following this father-daughter tag team story. And I don't want us to be out the first hand because, you know, Amanda decided to, like, lose her mind with King Jack. Um, but, but I think I had really the perfect hand to call with because I block the King I flush, you know, with that spade. That should concern him. I block King's hand. I block the straight. And then more importantly, um, I just don't think he's going to be going this thin with a hand with the queen. I don't think he's going to choose this sizing, you know, especially when the board pairs. If I had like an overpair, like aces or kings that on a really, really connected flop, I didn't want to bet and get raised. You know, now I'm going to feel really comfortable on this river. I would think that my hand kind of goes up in strength. So to me, I just, you know, putting all those things together, I thought I had the perfect hand to call with. So I did call and Fortunately, he had eight high, seven, eight hearts, uh, which was great. So it was amazing. And we essentially had a full double up the very first hand, which was great. Uh, but, you know, like I said before, I really wanted to make a point, especially because it relates to what we teach in Poker Power, where we want women to be less risk averse. And sometimes if, you know, as you play in a tournament, you have to take risks in order to survive. If I had just called the King Jack there being like, oh, I know I have the best hand. I'm going to get this guy. I'm going to call. Right. If I had called, the woman behind me said she would have called and she was more of an amateur player. When I three bet, she looked really frustrated that she couldn't play her hand. And then after the hand, she said, I would have called. I had queen jack and she would have flopped two pair. I would have had a stick around there with my pair, the overcard, blah, blah, blah. And instead of doubling up, I probably would have lost half my stack. And when you start with 27 big blinds, <laughs> that, that doesn't give you a, a lot of room to play with. You know, sometimes the best defense is offense. And in poker, we really, I think, and in life, especially is like, you know, when I, we teach these all women's classes, we want to get out of this mentality. Like, you know, I'm going to sneak up on them. I'm going to get them. I'm going to be trappy. You know, I'm going to, uh, and we really want to be pushing the envelope. And I think that's what that hand did. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, I, I love this hand because it's the very first hand in a final table, right? Your first world series of poker final table. And, you know, sometimes when you're in that high stress situation, you're like, you know, can I just like get a couple easy ones, like either get aces or get some trash and, you know, just, just get to like, get into the zone. Right. But you know, life doesn't always let you do that. Does it? No. And I, and I, it was obviously, I didn't have to take this line, you know, I could have just folded. And I think that's what a lot of people would do on their first hand, the final table. But 
I'm not the type that likes to fold too much. So <laughs> Yeah, and then there's all the leveling thing because he might think that because it's your first final table and you're playing with your dad, that because you're three betting in the first hand that you might have a stronger holding because you don't want to get knocked out. They were the chip leader, by the way. So that's really relevant. Oh, yeah. That they're going to be opening wide both because they're aggressive and also for strategic reasons so they can get in there more widely. I think it's really interesting that on the river, they put you all in, save two or three big blinds, because in a way that those two or three big blinds, um, if you call and lose, are so incredibly valuable. It could make your calling range wider, but then maybe you could second guess that and think that he's leveling you because he wants you to call. So kind of like an interesting decision by them, which didn't work out, but it kind of gives you some, something to ponder. You know, I, it does give something to ponder. I don't know if this guy has all in in him as a bluff, mm -hmm. you know, like some people, they just don't have that button. I just I don't think that he even considered announcing it. I think he just kind of grabbed his chips and put in a chunky bet. Right. Right. So it could have been that like if he put in a few more that it would have been all in, but he wasn't really like calculating it precisely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you think about it, if you were wrong, you could have just like stuck around and hoped that like the 14 or 15 big line stack busted and it could be like a big pay jump for you. So probably I would say technically a mistake. He should have put you all in. But hey, I mean, but things can always work out. Sometimes mistakes can work out in your favor, right? Especially if you're... Oh, I, was, <laughs> I, I, I what could I ask for? You know, a basic full double up, essentially, you know, save a blind, you know, firsthand. Um, and then we were in it to play. Yes. And then you almost, you know, won the whole thing. You ended up getting third place for a nice cash, $50,000. They uh, split it up for you. So you got 25K each. And certainly the experience of a lifetime. I mean, I am also very close with my dad who plays poker as well. And when I saw your story, I was just thinking like, that is so sweet. What a memory. Yeah. Yeah. It was a dream, you know, and it was both a dream and amazing. And there was something you've added to that felt like, of course, because <laughs> we just, we always were so, you know, I'm so deep in the poker world. And everyone, you know, knows my dad, like as like the poker guy. And so it just in a way, it felt like it made so much sense. But it was funny because day one was not a good for us. And we were almost out like most of it. I want to say we pretty much never got above starting stack. And the last several levels, we were under 15 bl big blinds the whole time. And we entered day two as a very short stack. I think we had sub 20 and it was the tag team. It was an afternoon, you know, afternoon event. And so day two started at like one or 2 PM. And I was just thinking like, this is stupid. Like now we can't play any of the other like 11 AM tournaments. And instead we're going to like do this. We're going to be out in an hour. And I was so frustrated, <laughs> but then uh, we, you know, we pulled it together. You know, you talk about how your aggressive mode. You talk about how your aggressive mode led to success in this hand. And it's interesting to me because that being a big philosophy of poker power, but also you mentioned your dad kind of needing to lean into his aggression more as his table image changed. I wondered what about for you personally, how did it come to you to be super aggressive? Um, did that come naturally to you or did you really have to work on it and cultivate it? On the one hand, it came very naturally to me. Uh, on the other hand, something I think about after teaching poker power classes is I started playing poker young. 
You know, I started, my dad taught me like the ropes, you know, like basics, like just like playing, you know, the New Year's, like with the family on the table. And then I really started getting into it when I was 23 years old. And Poker Power, we used to teach high school girls and we do some programs, but it was so different. The high school girls versus the adult women. So it would be like these high school girls, they would be bluffing every hand all in all the time. They would be like trying to put pressure on their friends. They were crazy, you know? And at first I was like, oh my goodness, what are we doing? We are teaching these 15 year old girls to be like insane gambling maniacs. And then I thought to myself, wait, 15 year old boys are doing the same thing. It's not like they're like playing like perfect, like tag poker. On the one hand, you have these 15 year old girls and they're just going for it. And then when I started teaching older women, I would start getting questions in my classes like, why would I ever bluff? You know, and I just like needing to explain because you want to win, you know, and like and having to go, it's like there's something that happens between 15 and 45. And that's what we're really trying to kind of put our foot in the door here with poker power and trying to like hold that, cultivate, develop, you know, that sense of you want to survive, you've got to take risks, you want to have fun doing it, you want to go for the win. So on the one hand, yes, I think I'm just naturally outgoing then in that way. And I think aggression came naturally to me. On the other hand, I do credit my father for having started me when I was younger. And I think having that experience, there's a reason why people assume that 22 year olds are young, hungry, and aggressive and likely to bluff because a lot of times we are. <laughs> so I think starting young really helped. But as a counter to that, my dad, he's always a more conservative personality. You know, he has a degree in accounting. He's like not Mr. Risks. And he had to go against his comfort zone and against what he's been doing for decades um, in order to, because he said that what I'd been doing all this time, all these years, stopped working. On the one hand, I think I had, you know, it was easier for me because I kind of got in at the right time um, with my age. But on the other hand, my dad, he had to completely undo decades and decades of wiring and get out of his comfort zone and do what was unnatural to him. And he did it. Wine colors. That's really uh, very difficult to do. I mean, it seems to some people who are naturally good at games and changing gears, like that would be easy that you would just like turn a dial. But coaching, as you do in poker, and I have done very much in chess and also occasionally in poker as well, you see that the psychological hurdles can be much, much more difficult to overcome than the intellectual ones, even if it's just a single step. It really makes you kind of want to like stop and stare when it is a little simpler for somebody. So what do you think it is that happens between the ages of 15 and 45 that make females more risk averse? It also could be that the culture has changed and that the 15-year-olds in the coming decades won't change as much. But what's your theory? I think people need to kind of maintain the feeling of winning. Most of the girls that I would teach would be on like sports teams together. So I think they had, they were kind of trained to be competitive. I did cross country in high school and that was fundamental. I had two school records, you know, and then when I was right around the time I started playing poker at 23, I had some really, really big wins in my career. You know, I'd been published in some big places. I got like my dream job I'd all these things happened. So I think it gave me the confidence to continue being aggressive. And I think if you have extended periods of time where you feel like what you're doing is wrong or you don't trust yourself because maybe it's not working out. If you don't have that feedback of, 
hey, when you go for it, it works out. I think it's a little bit hard to trust in that and to maintain that. So I think that's what's so brilliant about teaching women poker is because regardless of your job or your relationship or your house or whatever's going on in your life, you have the opportunity to be in an environment where you can have small wins. There's these two women, they were students in our classes, they're, they're twins, and they have like a twin company. And now they actually uh, work as assistant teachers for us. And they said the most striking thing to me. They're women. They went to business school. They have their own like twin store. They're successful. And they said they went to a women's conference and it was the most depressing experience. And they said they were left with all the obstacles that face women and how hard it is to be a woman in the workforce and all these things. And what they loved about poker power is that it just felt like actionable advice. You know, you feel like you can't speak up. You feel like trapped, stuck start making moves, start raising. It was just that outlet for them to be able to like ex exercise some power. And it's funny because like one twin is like the confident twin and one's like the shy twin. And all of this was coming from the shy twin. And I've actually seen her bluff and they're good bluff. You know, they're, they're strategic bluffs <laughs> more than, you know, I've seen a lot of women. And I think it's, it was really just being in that environment where it's confidence building. I love that though. I love that story about the women's conference. Cause I think you're right. You, you need a combination of fun and reality. We want to make the world better. We want to hear about the problems, but we also want to just enjoy ourselves and admire, you know, women who have done great. And that's, I mean, I really like your book, A Girl's Guide to Poker, because I do feel like it's so much fun. And a lot of my work with girls and women in chess, my new book, Chess Queens, is about that as well. Like, let's look at the problems that women face but let's also do it with storytelling and like with games and fun. I think that mix is the best way to touch people. In any case, the aggression, it's such a great lesson. I mean, I also have a theory that I think is relevant to poker power and to women and Americans in general, especially parents, which is that in many ways it is logical to be risk averse because money lost is more painful than money earned, right? The more, the less you have of something, the more valuable each dollar is, which is also true in tournament poker and is true in life too. If you had a choice between having zero or 2 million 50% of the time or having 1 million all the time, you always pick the 1 million, right? For logical reasons. And most of the women we teach in our corporate classes are women that are used to making logical decisions. You know, they work for big companies, they have high graduate degrees, and I think they're like, they're trying to make optimal decisions. That's right, because it's part of Poker Power is part of Peak Six, which is an investment company, which the bread and butter is of trading options. What is like your earliest memory of poker? I have two. My earliest, earliest memory is I was seven years old. I was in second grade. And my dad from the drugstore from like Rite Aid, he bought me this battery operated handheld video poker game. It's almost like the slot machines, you know, where you're trying to make like a flush or straight, trying to hold, choose which cards to hold and which cards not, not to. So it's like a video poker game. And I brought it to school and I played it until the batteries died. And I remember like, you know, just really liking thinking through it. It wasn't how to play poker, but it was hand rankings. So like I therefore knew like five spades is like a flush. So that I remember. And then I remember my dad, he bought an exercise machine in our TV room and he would always watch poker to it. I would po watch poker while working out. And I would think this is the most boring thing ever. And I would be like, why are you like working out to watching poker? 
And it's funny because even to this day, if I watch poker, I, I'm doing it more to like relax or to like kind of think, you know, it's more of a calm type thing. And my dad says it's a thing that most gets his adrenaline going. So, so he's like loves it. And I just remember growing up with that. And he did have like those books, you know, like Daniel Negrano's book and Phil Helmuth's book. And I remember I took the quiz when I was little from Phil Helmuth's book, like, which kind of animal are you? And obviously I'm like eight years old. So I'm the one that never holds, you know, I'm the elephant. I remember all those times with my dad. And, you know, I think I'm very lucky in that a lot of people learn poker from their fathers. And then I think there's this natural question when you start playing, especially in the, in the casino level, was my dad really that good? You know, like, like, uh, did I get good advice? Do you know what he's doing? And, you know, my dad, he is completely a recreational player. He never played a tournament before I started playing, but his kind of like recreational game is he plays 510 and he plays in Los Angeles. So, you know, I'm very lucky to have such a smart, intelligent person, which I think makes smart, intelligent poker player, but also in terms of the tag team with our great, with our strengths and weaknesses, I'm more like firecracker and my dad's, you know, more solid usually. I think speaking to his solidity, like I started trying to drag him to tournaments and he realized that he had no idea what he's doing. So I set him up on an online poker website with free rolls. And the way these free rolls worked is that they're about seven hours. And I want to say like also like 700 players. If you get 10th place, you get 25 cents. If you get first place, you get $2.25. And remember that my dad's normal game is a 510. But anyways, so my dad, he starts playing these like crazy. And I'm starting to get texts from my mom. Like, what is your dad doing? I put three in the morning on the computer. Why is he playing this? Blah, blah. And then I start getting texts from my dad like, hey, I'm in the top 20. Hey, I'm at the final table. And over the course of three weeks, my dad had over $4 in that account, which is really, really difficult to do. And, you know, and he said, and he was just, but he's such a student of the game and of life. And he was like, you know, I learned to be like, super aggressive, you know, like I would have, he's like, I would have never considered going all in with a pair of eights. And then, you know, when you're playing a free roll, that's like the nuts, you know, everyone's all in firsthand. The last thing that he said about that too, is he said, it doesn't matter who you are. When you've been playing for five hours, when you have this time investment, people care more about their chips than playing a 510. You know, he said that was real intense poker. Yeah, that's a poker player right there. You know, I played with Ike Haxton and Vanessa Selps in charity tournaments, and I'm telling you, <laughs> they're ready to win the hat. <laughs> no soft playing any hand there, you know, perfect bet sizing, ranging people, yes. I do love to see that, that competitive vibe that goes beyond the money, because of course, when you're teaching young people, you don't play for real money, right? But you have to kind of instill the value that you're trying to win no matter what. That's the only way that it's good training. Otherwise, you don't really learn anything. If you can't force yourself to model it, like it matters. You have so much experience with coaching from poker power, and you also teach a poker class at in Santa Monica. Is that right? A college? Yeah. So I've been teaching at Santa Monica College. It's a community college. Probably do it again next year. I already taught two semesters uh, this year, 2021, an online six week poker curriculum. So, what is your biggest lesson for those? listening at home who want to give a little poker lesson to, you know, a friend of theirs or maybe their significant other. What are some pitfalls that people encounter when they're, when they're trying to teach the basics? You know, I taught a poker bachelor party once. Like it was, I was actually the girlfriends and a wives idea. They're like, what can our husbands do 
you know, that's like a guy's thing, but it's not like going out clubbing. And so they hired me. I taught this poker workshop and then they had like a dealer dealer tournament. Right. And so it was kind of like that same question. It's like they kind of casually knew a little bit, but what can they learn that really like shapes them up? And the first thing was, you know, poker as storytelling. And just thinking in that context, I'm not talking about like getting too fancy, like down rabbit holes with sizing or ranges. I'm just saying, what's the story? You know, what story am I telling? What story are they telling? And one of the guys who was most resistant and he said he didn't even want to come to the event. He was saying, you know, all of a sudden poker starts to feel less random to me. You know, it's like when you start thinking it in terms of that, because the problem I think a lot of newer players experience is they don't know why they're betting. And sometimes they just freak out and they just bet king nine eight and they have a not ace eight and they just start like bloating the pot and they just don't really know what to do. And so first question is, what's the story? And then a deeper version of that is, what do I want? What do I want to have happen? Why would I be betting the eight? When you think, hey, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. What I want to have happen is I want to see the next card (laughs) as cheaply as possible. So if you just start thinking, what do I want to have happen here? Do I want them to fold? Do I want them to call? Do I want to get paid? You know, do I want to shut it down and just, you know, see the river, the next card as cheaply as possible? What do I want to have happen? And if you can just ask yourself that question, because I know there's a million things that run through people's mind when they're playing poker. What do I want? Love that. And I think that's one of the enduring powers that poker has, that there's this dichotomy that it appeals to the mathematical analytical brain, but it also appeals to the storyteller. And so there are those two ways to come at it. And ultimately, you have to learn to love both. I'm someone who... Would never expected to succeed at this game. You know, I flunked eighth grade algebra. I was never good at math. I just was so not a numbers person. And for me to be able to like even do anything at this game, I think it took something. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's the key thing that we is really important for education too. Like some people just don't really like math that much until they realize that there's something they really want to do in life. And they need math for it. And suddenly they love math. Well, oh, yeah. I drill the probabilities. I'm like, this is enlightenment. You know, you like figure out where you're at. So um, absolutely. Absolutely. Math is magic. I didn't really study any advanced math until I started playing open face poker. And I realized that without some more advanced math, I wasn't going to be able to figure certain things out. And all of a sudden, things that I never would have been able to learn otherwise suddenly started crackling for me. I think it's a beautiful purpose for poker, actually to get people who've been math resistance to embrace it. And as for the storytelling, I do want to ask you about your writing. Tell me with A Girl's Guide to Poker, you had some really funny lines. What were some of your favorite parts to write? Or what was your favorite part to write? And do you have a favorite line in the book? My favorite line's on the back cover. And I think it kind of says it all in terms of the style and tone of the book. So it goes, so you want to play poker? Maybe it's the cash. Maybe it's the strategy. Maybe you're turned on by guys in hoodies and sunglasses. Do you want to play poker? This is a game for you. And I just think that like, you know, I want it to be something different. When I wrote it, I was working as a newsletter writer in Middle Eastern foreign policy. So my job was to take all these really complicated political stories and then convert them into bullet points, you know? And when I was interviewing for jobs, when I was working in that field, I would say, I see myself as a translator. And I thought, you know, someone who can make hard things simple. And I thought, well, what's the only thing more difficult than peace in the Middle East, you know, learning poker. Right. So, um, so that was kind of my mission with the book is that all the books were too hard for me to understand. And I wanted something funny, engaging. Um, 
And the funny thing about it was I never intended it to be a woman's poker book. This didn't even cross my mind. And when I titled the girl's guide to poker, I thought, well, I'm just going to write it in my own voice. And all of a sudden that was like became a woman's poker book, but it was more like, um, you know, wanting to self-express in a way that was just as engaging as possible. And as I was writing it, there isn't a single paragraph without a punchline. So in the entire book, it's like you explain the poker concept and I'm trying to come up with the joke. Have you done stand-up comedy? I've thought about it. That sounds like something you'd be good at and it would also be terrifying. Thank you. You know, I did an improv class in college and I remember the teacher said, you have absolutely mastered this archetype of playing neurotic four-year-old women. Wait, wait, 40 or four? 40. 40, okay. Neurotic 40-year-old women? I was like, neurotic four-year-olds? What? They're too young for that. (laughs) No, neurotic 40-year-old women. Oh gosh. Well, (laughs) one of my favorite parts of the book was when you wrote, you played that hand horribly, a man told me once. I asked him how so. Well, for starters, he replied, I could see your cards. (laughs) <laughs> that was true. That was a real story. Just like you played it in an airplane. It's like, yeah, I could see your cards. Yeah. He was right though. I, I actually remember that hand. I had like ace king suited and I just called a raise pre-flop and I flopped the nut flush trying to just check it down the whole way. So he was right. <laughs> but the line of that hand was, and that was what it was like being a young girl trying to play poker was, um, I didn't even know how to hold my cards right. But I thought I was going to be this rock star poker player like my dad. And of course you learned along the way, but many mansplaining along the way, for sure. It's like a broken clock, right? A couple of times. So in this particular case, the guy was right and bad. You shouldn't have been showing yeah. them your cards, but a lot of the future mansplainers, I'm sure were way off. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, my very, very first tournament, I um, got knocked out immediately and I was cons- contemplating re-entering. And this guy looks me straight in the eyes And he says, you're bad at tournaments. And he told me to go home or at least stick to cash. And he was bragging about all his tournament wins. And he was like, don't do this. Don't waste your money. Right. And I just couldn't believe he said, you're bad at tournaments. And I re-entered seven hours later, him and I are the top two. And he's trying to make all these crazy deals, like way in his favor. Like when we were down to three players, he said, why don't you two split second and third? And I take first. Right. Like that was how he thought of me. And you know, I, in a way, I'm now in hindsight, I'm so grateful that he was such a jerk because it taught me you don't always have to make a deal. You know, I think if he were the nicer guy, I would have just taken a deal. And instead, I was like, this is my first tournament. I never thought to make a final table, no deal. And I ended up winning. And it was very satisfying. So when I showed him bluffs like in the last hand, but in a way, I was really, I was able to kind of use that in my favor in my very first time. That's amazing. What a great story. You are filled with good poker stories. I mean, from your first uh, tournament to tag teaming with your dad, what are your upcoming goals with your own poker career, your own writing career and or poker power? Poker power, you know, you can probably even tell more (laughs) being that you're on the board. You probably know more than me about the direction that we're going in. But I am so absolutely excited about this program. I'm going to be I have, you know, some ideas. So I'll be talking with their marketing team in January about them. Personally, my biggest hobby, I'm very into astrology. So I've been working on a YouTube channel. I just sold my first astrology course. I just had some people buy it this week. So I'm very excited about that. Congrats. Lovely. Thank you. So um, I've been working in kind of the YouTube space, but we'll see what happens uh, in the poker space. I guess the last thing I've been doing is um, I've been volunteering a little bit on Andrew Yang's forward party is a new political party and helping write some of their platforms. So I'm excited about that. And that's where I thought of 
your earlier question about having um, small wins. When we're talking about like, what can people do? He said in an interview, he said, you know, I became an econ major and I think it's because I got an A on a paper and I thought, oh, I'm good at this. And that gave me the confidence to keep going. And I think if we have more of that for women, hey, I can win. I can do this. I can do that. Then it just really um, there's momentum there. It's like trophies for grownups, you know, like I think, you're, you know, you mentioned earlier, like 15 year old girls, you know, they are getting more positive feedback because they get A's, they win a race. Right. Whereas yes. a lot of times grownups, you know, they, they, they get away from like the sports, the CrossFit, the poker, the chess. And then where, where are they? Where are they having people tell them how great they are? Exactly. Exactly. You need some of that in your life, right? It's healthy. It is healthy. And I think that is a, that's a, a really nice point that you brought up. I'm definitely going to keep that in mind. I mean, of course, we can follow you at Amanda Botfeld. On Twitter. And the best place to buy your book, we can buy it, of course, on all the venues. It's um, from D&B Poker. It's, by the way, it's beautiful. I, I did get it on my Kindle. You should actually buy the real version if you're listening. Not that digital isn't real, but particularly for this book, it is very beautiful. It's in full color, right? It's in full color. Absolutely. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon or Burns and Noble or the DMB website. That was the last thing about doing it is illustrating it is I was very resistant to pictures because I said, I didn't want this to be a book of like sexy women holding cards. And I was so grateful that DNB, they really, really heard me. And they said, you know, we're two guys. We don't know how to pick pictures for, you know, women's poker book. And they said, why don't you go through? And so I had a friend and I, we went through stock photo libraries and so all of the pictures in the book are by women for women. You know, we tried to have really positive imagery as much as possible. And it actually took longer to find the graphics and the photos for the book than it took to write it for <laughs> about an equal amount of time. Fast. It was every single paragraph going through a process of how do we want to illustrate this, narrowing it down. It was a ton, but it was, I, I think you can see it in the book itself. I personally like the photo of the woman who's lost in chess thoughts. Oh, yeah, in the beginning. Yes, yes. <laughs> Shout out for the intense chess look as, as we all got addicted to in The Queen's Gambit, but it, it was in your book first. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you very much, Amanda Botfeld. King Jack offsuit on the grid. This was so much fun.